It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and then type in 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It is a great pleasure to welcome our next guest to a moment of truth. Uh, we've spoken with Elanice before, but Elanice Obamsuin is a member of the Abenaki Nation, and she's one of Canada's most distinguished documentary filmmakers. As a prolific director with the National Film Board, she has created an extensive body of work focusing on the lives and concerns of Canada's First Nations. And she began her professional career in 1960 as a singer, in New York City. But then in 1967, she was invited to join the uh, National Film Board as an advisor uh, on a film project about Indigenous people, but, and that changed her life. She's never put down the camera since. But as an activist and well, uh, as well as a filmmaker, Elanice is driven to provide a uh, forum for the country's <laughs> first peoples. Her entire filmography is a testament to that desire. Her documentaries have always sought to show the importance of roots and strong intergenerational bonds uh, to the preservation of Indigenous cultures. From the Christmas at Moose Factory in 1971, in which she used children's drawings to tell the story of a Cree village on the shore of James Bay, to her four films about the Oka Crisis in 1990, Kanasitake, the 270 Years of Resistance in 1993, which was a winner of 18 international awards. Ms. Obamsman's latest and 52nd film, released in 2019, is Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger, which documents the long struggle to establish the right of Indigenous children to receive in their own communities the same high standard of health care as the rest of the Canadian population. So it's a pleasure, as I say once again, to welcome Elanice Obamsuan to Moment of Truth. Elanice, uh, you know, the first thing I, I want to share with you is um, I recently, I guess within the last couple of years now, uh, I saw you last in Hamilton. You were there with Cindy Blackstock and you were both on stage talking to each other. <laughs> And you, you kind of did yeah. a little interview with That's Cindy. Right. That's right. I asked her, did she ever want to be a nun? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You asked you her a lot. should have seen her face. Mm. It was very yeah. funny. It was a great interview, and it was nice to see Cindy mm. sort of, uh, you know, uh, in that defensive sort of mode a little bit. But it was great to see the, you know, that, mm. that, uh, that that bond that you guys have uh, and, and just that, that great camaraderie. You know, Cindy Blackstock plays an important role in this film we're going to talk about, uh, Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger. But um, I, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about when, you, when did you first become aware of Jordan's story? Uh, the first interview in the film that I did was in uh, 2011. So you can imagine there's a space from there mm. to uh, 2020 mm -hmm. <clears throat> that I've been watching and covering everything in court and mm. otherwise the people involved, his family and mm. etc. And I really learned it to, through Cindy uh, at first because my main interest is really children. Mm. I started hearing about uh, Jordan and I called her up 
And uh, previously to that, it was about the school for Arawapiskat people mm. that uh, Shannon uh, mm-hmm. Kustashin was fighting for. Yeah. And uh, this is how I got involved. And, and I started working uh, in Arawapiskat on this film. But while I was there, then there became the, the crucial, uh, terrible uh, problem of housing. Mm-hmm. So I put that aside and I made uh, the first film there. Uh, it's called The People of the Katawapiskat River mm. about uh, the problem of uh, housing in the community. Mm. And then I went back to uh, the film on, Ka- um, on uh, uh, Shannon. And mm-hmm. this, this is called uh, Highway Mistahe. And while I was uh, doing this, I was aware of what was happening with Jordan. And the, so the first time I went to a Norway house to interview her, his father, Ernest Anderson, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, was in uh, 2011. So it, it's mm-hmm. been like an in and out of the community. I also made another film there called uh, Our People Will Be Healed. Which is uh, something that I never thought I'd be able to do a film like that because it's so incredible to see how far uh, the educa- educational system uh, is in the community and what the people, the Cree people of uh, Norway House have done. It's just so marvelous. To just give you a a small example, we filmed 500 children playing the violin, which, yes, every year they have a jamboree somewhere (laughs) in in, uh, Manitoba. And that year it was in um, uh, Norway House. So I Mm. waited that time to be able to film the jamboree because there was about 30 different schools taking part Mm. in it with all under the same system. Mm. And it was just incredible. It's so beautiful. It's mm. so profound. It's much more than hopeful for the future. Mm. It's so great to see uh, how much love there's given the people of uh, Norway House give to their school and uh, how the first things that are most important is to learn about their culture, their language, mm. their tradition, their treaty, all mm. those things, plus all the rest. Uh, to uh, that a child uh, from the age of six to to grade 12. And it's just, it's the best system in the school that I've witnessed. Mm. So it's all in there in that film called Our People Will Be Healed. Mm. So meanwhile, I was working on Jordan and covered the court case. Yeah. And uh, until uh, the big decision in 2016, Mm. that really became more official in 2017 and the Mm. changes that occur and uh, Mm. how incredible it has been. This little boy, Jordan uh, and River Anderson, is just so important. You know, he only lived five years in his Mm. life. Mm. But But he's had such an impact. Yes. 
yeah, Alan, he says you were talking there. It sounds, and this is slightly off topic, but it's it sounds like the way you operate in terms of your films. Uh, it sounds like you've got several things going on at once, but you, as you say, you waited around to capture these kids all playing the violin. It sounds like yeah. As, yeah. as a documentary filmmaker, you know, there are things you cannot recreate, right? And so you have to, yeah. you have to capture them when they are happening because yes. otherwise exactly. you miss that opportunity. Yes. I'm always watching, <laughs> and uh, children are just so incredible. It's so important to to everyone's life, and uh, I like to see justice to our children all across this country. And it's happening, you know. It's mm. well, part of it you know, is happening, uh, and yes. You know, uh, as you say, uh, Jordan lived lived five years. Um, and and we get to go through the the story of his life, and we get to see the issues he was dealing with. But but also, we get to see the flaws in the system, of course, because that's yeah. how this all came about. Uh, it starts with Jordan's needs uh, that he he requires, and we find out, of course, that that there's this debate about who should take responsibility for those services. That yes. should it be the provincial government? Should it be the federal government? And and in the meantime. Uh, he, as we, uh, not only Jordan, but as we see throughout the film, uh, many, many other children uh, are in the same situation, and we get to see uh, that play out uh, as the film goes through. Uh, when, when now, again, back to Cindy, um, as you said, uh, she, uh, along with, uh, I think it was an MP, uh, uh, Jean Crowder, who made a, uh, uh, presented um, a motion in the House of Commons in 2007. Um, yes. And it was passed unanimously, yes. but but even though that happened, nothing happened. It was called uh, Jordan's Principle, yeah. And through that was supposed to be all the changes and uh, to, to finally uh, service all those children that uh, needed uh, the services. But mm. not, as you say, nothing happened for the longest time, so it had to go to court and it was a very long process and uh, eventually uh, it came through. Thank God we have Cindy Blackstock because she, with the Assembly of First Nation and the people of uh, Norway House, never gave up and fought to the end to get this be heard at the Tribunal of mm. Human Rights. And finally, we saw the change. We saw the change, but not without uh, we also learning uh, about the struggles that yes. that that presented for for people, uh, the families of these people. Yeah. The, the terrible part was, and when he was two years old, like you, you know, he was born in the hospital in um, Winnipeg, mm -hmm. and when he was two, the doctors said that uh, Jordan now could go to a home, to his home yes. or to another home, as long as it was near to a hospital. Yes, and uh, but with we uh, there were certain costs to um, that the family who the family who would take him in would need, and then that that's when the fight started between the federal and the provincial government. Mm -hmm. the, the federal said he's in Winnipeg, he's in the city, so it's the province that's province that is responsible for him. Then on the other hand, the province was saying no, he's a registered Indian, it's a federal, and you know they argue. And uh, time went by, and uh, Jordan remained in the hospital until they would uh, agree on the on this situation. 
And finally, at the age of five, he went to a coma and he passed away. Mm -hmm. So he spent all his five years of life in the hospital. But when you see how the system, the government system treated that child, it's so horrifying. Mm. So this is why his story is really one that uh, everyone should watch and see uh, what it really means, especially if you're a child with special needs, how difficult it can be. There's still a battle that continues because now (coughs) that... We have one that uh, until the child is 18, uh, mm-hmm. the person in question will get help. But after mm-hmm. that, it stops. Yes. And it's not because you turn 18 that if you are a person with special needs that right. all those problems goes away. That, so we right. have to continue fighting until they, these uh, people who are in that situation get help until the end of their life. Mm-hmm. That's what has to happen now. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and then type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day. Uh, seven days a week. And it is a pleasure to have with us here on Moment of Truth today, Elanisa Bomswin. She has received numerous awards and honors throughout her career, and she was inducted into the Canadian Film and Television Hall of Fame in 2010. In 2014, she received the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television Humanitarian Award, an honor given in recognition of exceptional contributions to community and the public sector. Uh, we're talking with Elanis about her, her latest film. Uh, it is called Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger. And uh, it's about the short life, uh, five years of Jordan River Anderson, but the impact that his, his life has had on uh, children, indigenous children right across the country. Uh, Elanis, we were talking about, you know, how everyone should see this story and the tribunal. You mentioned the tribunal. And, and it had to go back to the tribunal, yeah. I think, about three times. Yeah. And C- Cindy Blackstock, uh, as you know, we, we, you know, what a wonderful, what a wonderful woman, and and what a, a great uh, uh, fighter for uh, chil- indigenous youth uh, and 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 children's rights, and she always has been. And she's such an eloquent speaker. She has such a way uh, with words, uh, as you see her in the film. And uh, uh, you know, I, I guess the other thing though that we see in that film is when you look around at, at the other faces, as you mentioned, um, in, in that room of the people sitting around there that represent the government. Mm. Well, the last time, the last uh, session, uh, when it was uh, decided and there was this uh, a woman representing Indian Affairs as a, I mm. guess she's the assistant deputy minister, mm. uh, Dr. Gideon, she was so incredible. Like for the first time, mm. uh, someone from the government was not mm-hmm. trying to justify their behavior and saying, right. no, we've done what we were supposed to do. Right. Not like that. She says, we were wrong. Yep. We did it wrong. The tribunal told us we were wrong. And right. now we're doing it the right way. I tell you, I, was, I couldn't believe it. It was so beautiful in that room. Like mm. everybody was for Jordan. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. Yeah, that was the 2017. Uh, was it, was yeah. that when it was? The 2016 or 17? No, uh, 17. 
Yeah, and, and you're right. You could see that, and there was this yeah. uh, a definite change, and and we get to see that, and and you you mentioned that in the film that after that everything started to change. There was like, yeah. and I think they mentioned at that point, there was like about 77,000 cases that were that yeah. were already... Uh, and it went up very fast. It's much higher now. Yeah. But well, what I want to say before we end this uh, discussion, I should say, mm -hmm. um, I was uh, given a big present on my birthday this year. Hmm. And the film board put the Jordan River Anderson the messenger film on their site so anyone in the world can watch it for free wow. for 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 always now isn't it wonderful <laughs> that's that's so wonderful so all you have to do is uh, yeah is uh, getting the to uh, nfb.ca and mm -hmm. uh, you can mention my name and you see all the films but this one is just was just put on uh, on august 31st so I'm that so is. excited. I'm already starting to get uh, emails and uh, <laughs> uh, reactions on people that are watching it. And it's just yeah. so moving. It, it is. And congratulations. That's so wonderful. Um, we, have, we have some more time. So I want to explore a little bit more of the film because although the film stock, uh, talks primarily about Jordan and what he, he brings and, and, and through the, his story, how things change, we also get to meet some other people. We get to see some other stories about the, the impact that this was having on them, like Noah and his family. Yeah. And yeah. we see how, you know, her, his parents, um, both, uh, well, to, you know, well to do, they're educated. One, I th he think that one is a teacher, uh, one might be a lawyer. I'm not sure. We, we didn't really, yeah, the mother is a lawyer. Yeah, the mother's a lawyer, and and uh, the, the father was was a teacher, maybe a principal. He had to give yeah. up his job so he could drive Noah around. They had to purchase yeah. a vehicle. Um, we really get to see that that side of of what this impact did to these families and how it it directly affected them. If, you know, we hear he had to cash in his his uh, pension. Uh, pension a couple of times. Yes. Um, you know, and and of course that. You know, we come back to the to the um, Anderson family, and uh, Virginia, the mother uh, of of Jordan, uh, goes down to spend a lot of time with him uh, in in Winnipeg and and in the hospital, and 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 is separated from the family for long periods of time. Yeah. Um, so that stress itself is you know just one of the things that they had to deal with. Um, and unfortunately, you know, after his passing, about six months later, uh, his mom passes away. Yes, it it was it was devastating to the family what they had to go through. Mm. Yes, I think uh, it's so sad. And what also comes through very strongly is as you see how much love the family has for their mm. children who, who have those kinds of problems. And uh, if you lived on the reserve previously to this decision, uh, you didn't get any of these services. You had mm -hmm. to give your child a, as a yeah. ward of the government right. or, or give him uh, or move off, move off yes. the reserve. Can you imagine yes. that? This yeah. is horrifying. You know? It is, it is. And you, so why not help the family? financially and mm. with all the t the tools that they need to, to function uh, sometimes it might be a, a chair or a, a system for to be able to function 
inside the home, all those things. But they will do all that provision if it's a, a if the child is given to the government and goes to a, an outside family. Can you imagine that? But they don't. Mm. They didn't want to help the actual family, which now That's... that has changed, yeah. which is a very mm. important aspect of. Uh, the services. It is. It is. And of course, it's unfortunate that it had to play out that way. Um, yeah. But of course, it is the light at the end. Um, and, and we see more of that as we see Cindy, uh, yeah. you know, at, at the end as well t um, at, at the tribunal where she brings Jordan's blanket and yeah. she talks and, and we see that blanket again. And that that's such a it's such a simple thing. And yet it's such a a beautiful statement that is made with with that blanket that is Jordan's, mm -hmm. and it's it's the family's, and yet they yeah. they give that, they share it, so that it yeah. can it can be a force, I guess, to use mm -hmm. for for change. Yes, yes, uh, it's been uh, so much learning for me to uh, make this documentary. I'm just so happy about it. You know, well, to see how much people have to fight for everything. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and what people go through, and that's the, as far as dying for it. You know, it's mm, just yeah. uh, it shouldn't be. Yeah. So uh, there we uh, uh, Elanis, what what's now that this is is behind you? It's so wonderful to hear that you said, uh, like the National Film Board's put it up there for everybody to yeah. see. Anyone can go and yeah. watch it. There, yes. that, that's that's really is wonderful, and it is a story that. Absolutely, everyone should should see. Yeah. Uh, but in retrospect, um, is there any anything new or anything that that you've you've discovered or or that has come to mind after this film? Now that it's completed. Well, it just I've always believed that uh, everything is possible, mm. and anybody who's you know, for any young people who want to do something. Anybody who tells you, oh, you'll never be able to do this, stay away from that kind of talk, because it's not true. If there was ever a time where everything is possible, it's now, all over the country. It's very different. And now, I would say in the last 10 years, mainly, perhaps 20 years, but let's say the last 10 years, it's more incredible. The last five years, as I travel all the time across the country, in the past, you know, the minute you say, oh, you know, uh, I made this documentary about this, ah, the Indians, they're always complaining. They don't pay tax. They live on reserve. And mm. that kind of ignorance and very offensive statement mm. has stopped now. I don't hear that kind of language. Mm. It's quite the contrary. And, and I really believe, I know, I really believe deep in my heart that Canadians want to see justice. I know that. It's very different. There's an ear now, you know, wherever I go. And it's not just me, it's for all our people. The Canadians in general want to know what their true story is and the, what the traditions are and what's the history. And it's, it's an incredible time. I, I'm so thankful that I have lived this long to see the difference. Well, Alanis, uh, you are one of those people that help bring that truth and help show that truth to the rest of Canada. And we are 
extremely grateful for everything that you have done in that regard over the years. And, and we're very grateful for you to have uh, been able to share Jordan's story with us so that we can show more of that truth and, 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 and bring more of that change uh, throughout the country. So, uh, miigwech, and, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us and, and talk about the film with us today. Thank you. That's Elanisa Bonswin, and, and she's received honorary doctorates from many universities, including Dalhousie University in 2016 and McGill University in 2017. And in 2016, she was also uh, she received uh, two of the highest civilian honors uh, conferred to the province of Quebec when she was named a Grand Officer of the National Order of Quebec. And in 2019, she became a champion of the Order of Canada. It's been a real pleasure speaking with Alanisa Bonswin. Check out her film, Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger, as you heard her say. You can check that out on the National Film Board site anytime. That is this part of the program. Uh, but please don't go away, and thank you for listening, because we're going to have more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It's a pleasure to have with us here on the show, Tina Reisevelt. And she is the author of Courage to Be True. And it is a true story written about herself. And, and it says, set your best self free. It's basically of, of Tina's life and uh, both uh, what she went through at a young age, what she lived through, how that affected her, her family life, um, and the the then uh, issues that uh, came out of that, the health issues of, of uh, dealing with cancer, alcoholism, and other things that she had to deal with. But it's more than just the, that. It, it's a story of uh, of courage. It's a story of how she came through all those things. But But I'll tell you what's really interesting about reading through the book is that at the end of each chapter, uh, Tina brings it back to you, the reader. So it's, it, as I say, it's not just a story about reading. It's a story about a, a book that can help you as well, going through whatever struggles that you might be going through. It doesn't necessarily have to be exactly the same thing that she went through, but it gives uh, something, some kind of a, of, of a way of you thinking about your own life. So Tina, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, David. Um, I'm pleasure to be here. You know, uh, as I said, this book, uh, The Courage to Be True, Set Your Best Self Free, you wrote this, um, and, and it is a hard look at your life. You, you, uh, you really did uh, want to, I guess, open this up to, to help other people with this book. Um, but but it's, it's, you know, you also deal with some, some very, very delicate things, some very, very difficult things for yourself to look at uh, of your own life. Yes, yes, of course, uh, to, to look at yourself. And in my case, I was forced to look at myself to help save my life from drinking and alcoholism. It, it's not easy to do, but it's necessary work and it honors our individual self to be our best and make it through the challenges. And for me, it was exactly that. You know, it's one thing to to do what you did, to go through what you did, both dealing with, with alcoholism and the struggles that, that that brought forward for you in, in your life. But it's it's another thing altogether to sit down and write a book about it 
and share it with everyone and anyone. They're two different things altogether. You could have just moved on and, and, you know, use that and whatever you took from that experience and moved on to your own life. But you decided not to do that. You decided to take this further so that other people could benefit from, from what you went through. I did. Um, and Brene Brown would be very proud of me <laughs> um, because I did put myself out there with a capital V vulnerability. And mm. what inspired me to write the book was growing up as a child of an alcoholic and experiencing the pains and the sorrows and not understanding why my mother couldn't be present and perplexed by that as a young child, because you internalize it and you think that there's something wrong with you and you don't measure up. And then to myself against, like I, I tried everything to not follow the path of my mother, but I was no match for alcoholism because nobody is. I then became alcoholic and it wasn't until I was the one that was the no show or the one that was picking up a drink in the morning and spiraling down that tragic path myself that I began to really understand how the disease of alcoholism goes in the mind and the craving and the mental obsession. It's really hard to understand even for those who have the disease and as well as wanting to share hopefully with my writing, what goes on in the mind of an alcoholic, how it grips us and the mental gymnastics around everything we do and how we are to get to the next drink just obliterates everything else at times. I also had an internal sense that I always have had to help people. It's something that I feel comfortable doing and, and I like to do that. So in my work with my psychotherapist, after many years, she basically said to me, Tina, your story is inspiring. It needs to be shared. It will help people. So I kind of thought about it. It was a seed. And then not long after that, I said, okay, I'll write the book. <laughs> well, you know, you, you take us through every aspect of your life, including, as you mentioned, your early days uh, growing up, the fact that your mom uh, was an alcoholic. You, you take us right into your family. You take us into that relationship about, you know, your 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 uh, your mom getting pregnant at a very young age and the fact that it was uh, it was just that you're, you know, to do the right thing, your dad, your dad and your mom uh, married and, and, and they were th raising you, but they, but neither of them, of them were ready, uh, and, and had the tools, uh, to, to raise a family and to, to raise children, uh, in part, uh, and in large part, I guess, because your mom, uh, was, was part of the residential school system. Yes, exactly. Or not exactly, but the, what surfaces for me when you bring my mother's childhood up the fact that she is Indigenous, her mother is Indigenous and did attend residential school for some time. I'm not sure how long, mm. but I, doesn't, I don't have to go far than to look at how I could imagine my mother grew up. As an mm. adult, I can see her sorrows and her struggles because I watched her live mm. and die in the struggle. Her whole life was really all struggle. And 
that then the intergenerational trauma that her mother experienced through the residential schools and the Indian Act affected her and then affected my mother and then affected me in my childhood. Mm-hmm. It also affected, you had two brothers, uh, and it affected their life. Uh, but that that also affected your upbringing. You had a, an unusual uh, relationship with your brother. Yes, I did. Uh, it was... It was very special. We, at times, I'm speaking for myself, we had a very close bond. And I do talk about it in the book because it's the truth. Mm. (laughs) Hence the title, The Courage to Be True, Mm. is the name of the book. But we were so close because at times we felt we were up against the world alone. And in Mm. fact, that was true at times. So the closeness of our bond was incestuous emotionally, not physically. Mm -hmm. The bond was that strong and it did cross the lines, uh, like the boundaries of of healthy or it was healthy at times for us because it helped save us. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated Mm -hmm. and we were each other's everything at Mm -hmm. times. You know, um, you know, in, in our conversations leading up to the interview, I had mentioned to you that uh, in my own family, there's there's a history of alcoholism, both my father and my brother. And uh, so I have a, a sense of of this, uh, this of understanding what, about alcoholism. Um, and but but you describe it a certain way. And and it, it helped me to understand, uh, although I didn't know my father, my brother's situation, because I always remember the day he called me. Uh, as as he was going through, he never calls me. He never talks to me. Uh, he lives on the west coast. And we're far away, and um, and that again goes back to a similar situation that you had—that dysfunctional family kind of thing. As soon as my brother was and my sisters were old enough, they were gone. Uh, you know, to get away from the family. Now you allude to to this family relationship and the difficulties that that family relationship had for you as well. But but what I'm getting at with this call, my brother called me one night and said, uh, I said, yeah, well, is everything okay? And he said, yeah, I'm just calling to let you know that I'm an alcoholic. And I went, oh. And he said, yeah, I have to let everybody know. And you know what I'm talking about. It's the 12-step thing that they have to go through and announce and let everybody know that they're this and 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 sort of um, be, so that everybody is aware and they can't sort of back away from it anymore, I guess, is one of those things. Yes, that would be one aspect. Yeah. Um, so it really helped me to read through this and, and for you and, your, and the descriptions that you, uh, that you bring forward in the book. And... You talk about, of course, that that you followed the your the steps of your mother, and I find that kind of interesting, because you saw this, you saw this happening, and I know you didn't understand it at the time, but but was there a time in your life when you when you had at least an inkling that that or or a little voice went off in your head and said, "This is at the beginning of it. This is this is you shouldn't be doing this," or there was a warning or anything like that. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. And also thank you for sharing your personal aspect of yourself and your family, because Mm. that's really the intent and purpose in large part for this book to help people because so many of us are affected by this disease and other addictions and mental health conditions. 
Um, with respect to what you just mentioned about wasn't there a time or an inkling where I was like, this isn't good or the path that I followed behind my mother. Absolutely. I knew I was alcoholic in my 20s, but it is such a cunning, baffling and powerful disease. I thought I was different, better, smarter and combined with I couldn't see life without alcohol. It is that powerful, that grand, that strong of a grip on you. It's really about how do I live and coexist with alcohol? It's not, I have a problem, how can I get away with it? It's how can I manage and keep drinking? So mm. I just kept trying to manage or beat it. And that's what we do. We just, it's really complicated. And, and I drank until I was 44. And as you know, you've read the book. I went to some very dark places and I bounced in and around that same dark landing for years and years while I led this secret life of an ICU nurse that seemingly had her stuff together. It was really difficult to feel the hypocrisy around how I lived, but it was my only way to try to manage and salvage my life, but manage the cravings for the drinking. I didn't know any other way at the time. You know, you, you describe uh, what is it like to be um, an alcoholic in your book. And if you don't mind, I just want to read a little bit of this so, so that people get a, a sense of that, if that's okay. Of course. Picture, if you will, a set of cold, dark, damp, and rusty steps on a ladder leading down to a bed of red-hot flames situated at the very bottom of a very of a deep old well. Even though you know that the flames are there at the bottom, and even though you know you will get burned, you still start down the stairway, going down deeper each day and moving closer to death each time you start the descent. That doesn't matter to you. You cannot stop drinking for anything not for your children, or even for your own life. That's, uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yes, uh, I remember those dark... The, that visual is real. It did come to me a multitude of times. That's why I put it in the book. Those stairs, the, the darkness, the dampness... And I knew that's what I meant by I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew it was that bad and that dark in the end years. And that's what I envisioned or felt or imagined it to be. And those red hot coals, I knew I was going to get burned again, but I would still drink. Was, was it was alcohol or is alcohol? like a voice in your head. I'm just wondering because it takes me back to another situation in my own life when I, when I was young and, and uh, you know, everybody was, was trying out cigarettes and smoking and stuff. And so, yeah, what do I do? Sure, I'll try out the cigarettes. And, you know, you, you try that out for a little while. You, you want to fit in. But then I woke up one morning and I just remember waking up and this voice in my head said, go get a cigarette. You want a cigarette. And... That scared the hell out of me. 
that this voice, I heard this voice speak to me saying, you want a cigarette, go get a cigarette. And I thought, that has got to be this, this tobacco talking to me. And I went, that's no way, no way is, is it going to tell me what to do. And that was it. I stopped. Does, do you get a voice in your head like that with alcohol? I chuckle a little because, yes, I do, but it's much more than a voice. It's actually an evil force that wants nothing but to be your buddy to take you down, rule you, own you. And it is deceptive and deceitful. That's where the cunning comes into mm. describing the disease. Mm. It's, it, it, you know, in the Fred Flintstone thing where you have, or, or the good guy and the bad guy on the shoulder. Mm. It's definitely more than the bad guy on your shoulder because he's whispering in your ear things that make you internalize psychologically and intellectually, not intellectually. It tricks you into thinking it's okay to have a drink even though the catastrophic, catastrophic events happened just yesterday. So it talks to you and it, it teams up against you. Hmm. The other thing in the book you talk about around alcohol is that you mention it as an allergy. Mm-hmm. Now, I hadn't heard that before. I describe it as an allergy, and there is others that do, but it is debated, of course. I describe it as an allergy, and again, it's very complicated because it's a progressive disease. And along with it being a progressive disease, and this isn't the same for all alcoholics, this isn't a carte blanche statement, but you, I've heard many, and for myself, when alcohol enters my bloodstream, I react differently to it than the average temperate drinker or mm. the rest of the population, mm. those that aren't alcoholic. So if... For my example, my case, I am an alcoholic. I do have an addictive personality. Alcohol was my first drug of choice. And it affects me differently than it does you or others. Just before we go any further, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and then type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Please don't go away because we will be right back with more right here on Element FM right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Tina Reisefeld, and she is the author of The Courage to be True. And uh, I had the pleasure of reading the book, and it's a pleasure to have her on the show with us and uh, to talk about this, uh, this book that takes, take us, takes us through her life. But... Ultimately, it's a book about trying to help people um, deal with their own personal uh, uh, stories and their own personal issues that they might be dealing with. Tila, Tina, as I mentioned off the top, one of the things that I really liked about what you do at the end of chapters is, is that you include a question for people about 
about something that pertains to what we just read, but not in a in a general sense, so that they can take it and adapt it to their own to their own life. Yes, and I did that because I knew that it would um, evoke introspection or reflection, mm. because we all have struggles, and even though they appear differently, there's a lot of similarities. So even though my situation, my my home environment, or my addiction, or my challenge isn't exactly like yours or like yours at all, it's still relatable. Mm-hmm. Now, the other things that we learn throughout the book, of course, is 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 the is not only about the struggles, which of course you you not only deal with alcohol and eventually uh, come to terms with it. And, and that's what I find interesting, you know, because you talk about, as we just heard, about alcohol and, and it overpowers you. And, and you also talk about how it isn't just a struggle of will, that it's more than that. It, it is will, but it's, there's, there's that, that, it's a disease. And so, but at some point, you did confront it. You did, I guess, I don't know, for lack of a better word, find the will, find the, the way to confront it. What changed? What changed for me, it was kind of simple, but not really. And I'm not being dramatic, but the simple part is I finally threw in the towel on trying to drink like a normal person because it was going to kill me. <laughs> I was in hospitals, in withdrawals, having seizures and terrible blackouts and suicidal at that point. Okay. And so, but what changed? How did you then, why did it not then take your life? What changed and what surfaces right now is even though I grew up in an alcoholic family and in the seventies and the eighties, I saw it in the family and my mother's siblings. So I've been witness to the effects of alcoholism throughout all the generations of my life. And then later on my life specifically, But what changed was, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. But what changed was I learned more about the disease. And Mm. that was I went to an AA meeting. Mm. People were concerned about me. And one of the persons who was concerned about me saw me going down my mother's path and left me a phone number of someone they knew who was in the AA program. And when I went to that first AA meeting, just hearing other people share some of their experiences resonated and I related to, and it made me feel not so alone. Mm. And it made me feel not so broken, not so damaged, because I didn't really know what was wrong with me, except Mm. for that there was a lot broken. Mm. So the other thing is, of course, that you you finally come to terms. You get help. You are, are in recovery, and you go through all of those things, and then not to two years later, you get diagnosed with cancer. Yes. Yes, and at first, I was a little in shock, like the 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 self pity aspect of human beings. I was like, what? Like, are you kidding? That's just not fair. 
And I went through that phase, but in all honesty, why not me? And it was a healing experience, even though it was really difficult. Looking back on the gifts that came from that adversity, it took me to a much higher level of living that I am grateful for today. So at this point in time, as, as you mentioned earlier, you're an ICU nurse. You're also, I believe, uh, a yoga instructor. Yes. I initially went to yoga many, like probably 15 years before I quit drinking as something that might save me. Hmm. And, and of course it didn't. The only thing that saved me was to put down the bottle, but yoga was instrumental in my journey and my healing and my health. Mm. And and through also throughout the book, we learn about uh, something that you were starting to develop to try and get yourself well, um, and that is your your live well recipe. Absolutely, and I, I my live well recipe saved my life from alcoholism. And today I live by it. And in all honesty, my cancer journey, I I don't even want to think about what that might have looked like had I not already been living my personal version of a live well recipe. Mm. And we can, you know, you you give that uh, you give that out in the book as well as directing people to uh, to you know get help for whatever they might be dealing with on, on a personal level as well. Um, now you're you're nine plus years sober. You're seven years cancer free uh, survivor as well. So congratulations on both those fronts, by the way. Thank you. Um, but you give some interesting. Uh, 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 information about uh, alcoholism and, and, and the number of people that actually come forward. Uh, and it's surprisingly low about the people that try to seek help. Yes, it's, it's unfortunately, the, the statistics are very low. It is my hope and I, I believe that the landscape on those numbers, is, it's changing. There's shifts going on. People are, are, are wanting to, they're more hungry to be well today. And that's very, I'm optimistic. And we can see that in our, in our own selves a little. COVID has peeled back a layer on the true fact that a lot of us are, are just a couple of steps away from not being so well. Mm. Uh, of course, the, the other thing uh, is, is that... Um, you uh, you have uh, Tina's recovery yoga. That's that's uh, try uh, T R Y as you call it. That's one of the things you you do. But uh, you also uh, you, you're a volunteer at the Center for Addictions and Mental Health. Uh, you're a mental health advocate, as of course it makes sense that that you are with uh, all the things that you've gone through. Um, and as you pointed out earlier, uh, it's just in your nature to want to help uh, people. And this is this is in part why you wrote the book the courage to be true. And um, uh, I guess the the other thing that you point out in the book, is you use AAA, AA rather, the AA book as a, as a guide, you talk about that. Um, 
But the other thing at the end of the book that you you come to, which is which is not surprising, is faith. You talk about faith quite a bit at the end of the book. Yes, I do. I, as some or many, I, I'm not going to quantify. There is the version of a person who comes to faith because they are on their knees and desperate. And I would be of that version. I was desperate and on my knees and I needed something. And I was desperate to save my life from alcoholism. And the first thing they tell you to do is to start praying. Mm -hmm. And I did what I was told because I was desperate in dire straits. I wanted to live. I started praying. But along the way, I developed a spiritual practice. It had been planted through yoga. I had, it had been maybe seeds planted along the way, but um, in my, it's a miracle for me to see that I don't drink anymore. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm living healthy and I have a clear lens on my life today, and also the strength and courage to look back at my life for what it really is. There were energies and forces along the way that I believe have helped me and protected mm -hmm. me. And of course, the type of cancer that I had, it's a complete miracle that I am living today. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to have faith in, in, in this world, in this life. It's difficult. So today, I, it's part of my live well recipe. And I, I live by it. I continue to connect spiritually because I find it easier that way. It's more comforting and it works for me. Hmm. You know, uh, that reminded me of something else in the book that you talk about in regard to spirituality and, and yoga practice, and that is meditation. And, and you said, you know, it, it's, um, it's not surprising. You know, you said that, you know, more people should maybe do meditation, but why don't people do meditation more? And it's because it's work. It's like anything else. You have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And you get the benefit of that after you do the work. Absolutely. And meditation is not easy. I have a practice and I continually work at keeping it up and not, you know, putting it at the bottom of the list. It is there mm -hmm. every day and I keep mm -hmm. working at it. And one more other thing I would like to say about my spirituality mm -hmm. for the fact that I have alcoholism and I have cancer and I fear that I may pick up a drink again one day. And I fear that an, one malicious cell may trigger the cancer in me mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. In the book of AA, there's a line that's so powerful and it says there is no mental defense against right. the first drink. And I believe that. And I also believe there's no physical defense against the cancer coming back. So I do my part to take care of myself holistically, which is spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And in doing my spiritual aspects of praying, I'm supporting my spiritual defense against having a drink again. 
and in praying and meditating and doing good things like my volunteering is in service for others. I'm supporting my well-being overall to hopefully prevent the cancer from coming back as well. I hope that I made sense of some of that. Yeah, it all makes sense. And you go into such detail about everything and you describe things so well uh, throughout the book for everyone to to fully understand and comprehend not only what you went through, but what you're trying to uh, trying to share. Uh, that, I really found that that very uh, very thorough. So I, I appreciate exactly what you're saying. Uh, Tina, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing uh, you know parts of of what your book, uh, the the courage to be true, is about, and also uh, you know parts of your life and and how uh, how how you now want to help others. So I, I say uh, I, th- I say thank you very much for for joining us. Well, thank you very much, David, for having me. It's been my pleasure, and I just love the fact that you have interest in these topics. And so, and thank you for the great interview. Oh, our uh, our pleasure and my pleasure. Uh, that's Tina Roosevelt, and she's the author of The Courage to Be True. And you can find that actually on Amazon, Indigo, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's uh, also available as an ebook as well and hardcover. Um, and it's a, a really good read. I suggest you pick it up uh, if you know someone that it might help or you might be able to uh, uh, benefit it from yourself. And you can get hold of Tina at Tina Inspires on all your social media links. So thank you for listening to Moment of Truth each and every day. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for joining me. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.